Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I am your host, Brady Josephson, and today we have a very special treat as Jess Posner Odede, who is the CEO at Girl Effect, joins us from Kenya where she is stationed and working from home with her three little ones. So uh, big thanks to her for taking the time. Now, if you haven't heard of Girl Effect, they are a wonderful organization that is doing some really cool things, really leveraging media to provide content that girls want, trust, and need. They use chat bots and chat shows and TV dramas, and they really leverage digital and tech to execute and implement their mission, which is really what we talk about today is, you know, what are the cultural ingredients behind that? What are some of the innovations that Jess and her team did coming into 2020 in COVID? What if they had kind of changed and adapted coming out of COVID? And how do they keep the same kind of mindset to better connect uh, with donors from around the world to fund their mission? And then we end with some interesting rapid fire questions with Jess. She's a very, very impressive person. She's a New York Times bestselling author. She's a co-founder of a nonprofit in Kenya where she lives uh, and she's just doing some amazing work, work with Girl Effect. So big thanks to her for joining us in Girl Effect and big thanks to you uh, for listening. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. I said welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Hi, Jess. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Really happy to be here, Brady. All right. So you've done some incredible, amazing things with Shining Hope for Communities in Kenya. You've published a New York Times bestselling book. You're leading such an amazing, impactful organization around the world. But is having three kids all under two during a global pandemic uh, your greatest achievement? That's uh, a great question. I think having three under three and doing Zoom preschool has definitely, <laughs> surviving Zoom preschool, I think I could say, has definitely been my greatest achievement. Uh, so more seriously, I do want to hear a little bit more about kind of your story and journey before we talk about um, girl effects. So uh, for, for Shining Hope for Communities in Kenya, an organization that you helped start, what what led you to start that? What What was that process or journey like? Great questions. Well, I've lived here in Kenya, where I'm speaking to you from this evening, evening my time here in Nairobi, Kenya, for the last 15 years. And really what, what led me to be a part of co-founding Shofco was when I first came here 15 years ago as a student, I was introduced to an incredible community leader named Kennedy, who was really with no resources, with no kind of education, outside help, transforming his community. And I think the real insight that I had is the people closest to the problem know what the solutions are. And so it was really an honor to be part of, of growing and founding and scaling that organization in partnership with Kennedy and local leadership in the, in the community he was from, but also in communities like that across Kenya over 11 years. Wow. Yeah, it's it's amazing how many um, kind of like founding stories start maybe with a problem, but often it's a person. Like you meet one Absolutely. person, right? And then it's indicative of maybe the problem as well as the solution. But it's just interesting that there's this connection with one one person. I worked for an international development organization for my very first job, and it was founded too, where our founder met one person in Zambia and was like, wow, like this man has this vision in this 
solution in his own country. How do we partner with him and help? It was just uh, really interesting. So you've been I living think that's in such Kenya. That's a powerful for- point about you know the, how people are really what drives solutions, innovations. And I think for me and the experience I had watching Kennedy, I think there's a big challenge where leader, local leaders, leaders of color, leaders from communities don't get access to resources or to some of the rooms that I was able to walk into. And so I think that was really a powerful experience. And I think there's a great quote that says, talent is universal, opportunity is not. And so I think finding such an inspiring leader who knew what needed to happen, had that vision for his community, had those experiences himself. It was really an honor to be a partner along that journey. Cool. That's a great quote too. So you've been living in Kenya for 15 years now. What's what's your favorite part about living there? That's a great question. Well, the weather. It's we don't have winter (laughs) anymore. So I think that's really nice. And you know, I think also it's really important. Family is so important to me. I have three Mm -hmm. young kids all under the age of three, if you can imagine. So our house is, <laughs> is quite busy, but I think it's also really great. My, my husband has eight siblings, so it's really wow. great to be close to his family and his mom. It's hard to be away from mine, but mm-hmm. I think it's really a, a powerful piece of being able to be so close to his big family. Hmm. Yeah, it's cool. What, what's maybe uh, one of the biggest misunderstandings that, that people might have about, you know, living in Africa or things that you'd miss that you don't or something like that? Well, I think people often, you know, think that it's so far, so different, you know, is there internet, is there power? <laughs> and I think they're, they're really in the Western mind, people don't realize that, you know, Nairobi is a big metropolitan city. My internet is faster right. here than it is <laughs> when I go to New York city. So There, I think, is a lot of misunderstandings about what it's like to live in Africa. Mm. I mean, I guess there are days that are adventures, but often it's it's like living in a big, global, fast-growing city anywhere in the world. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. I think, especially in in the United States. So I'm from Canada, and people always ask Mm -hmm. me, "Well, what's what's it like in Canada?" It's like, well, (laughs) it's a big country, and I'm from Vancouver. It's very different than the East, you know, like I wouldn't say like, you know, what's it like in the United States? You go like, what's it like in Texas? And it's the same thing. You know, what's it like in Africa? Well, it's a pretty big continent. With it's a, lot a continent. Of different it's not a country. Right. right. And like the, the cities and the country, like there's so much different. And again, it's just you don't know what you don't know and, and all that kind of stuff. But I have found that that interesting as well, just being, you know, kind of the whole country for me or the whole continent of Africa kind of gets lumped together. And it's uh, it's not fair at all. So. Uh, interesting. All right. Well, I really want to dive into some of the amazing stuff that y'all are doing at, at Girl Effect. So before we talk about some of the innovations and the digital side, can you just talk a little bit about Girl Effect for people that are unfamiliar and just kind of like what you do and really what makes y'all so unique? Great. Well, at Girl Effect, we understand the power of media and of storytelling. And we tackle taboo topics, topics that are hard to talk about, and ultimately change the way that girls think, act, and feel. In many of the countries that we work in across Africa and Asia, there's simply no media aimed at adolescent girls where they can see themselves represented and where they can imagine a different future. So we build the media that they want, trust, and need from chatbots to TV shows, from drama to social media. And I think we really talk directly to girls. We answer their questions. We share facts about their bodies, about puberty, about sex, nutrition, education, relationships. 
And we help girls to make choices and change in their lives by using storytelling to role model how to navigate the decisions and the difficult decisions that teenagers face around Mm -hmm. the world. And we redefine what they've been told is possible for a girl. So, A, that's that's such an amazing, um, you know, mission. A lot of the organizations are, you know, service providers, like direct service, food yeah. and shelter and education, which is great, totally great and, and needed. But, you know, in terms of changing hearts and minds, you know, it's really what you're trying to do and provide education at a young age. And it's amazing. But also, how do you, like, measure some of that? Because it's very clear, like, we gave X amount of meals. We built Y school. You know, the classic more, you know, service direct service provision, international development stuff. So is that one of the challenges that, that you have that a lot of organizations maybe don't is, you know, think, act, feel, the kind of softer type of things, right? So uh, how do you go about like measuring or understanding the impact of some of these things? Great question. Well, I think to your point, it's, it's so true. You need both sides of the equation. If you think about the direct service providers on the ground, they're really handling the supply side of the equation. But I think Mm. what is often not understood or really discussed enough in international development is that there's been billions of dollars spent on building clinics, building schools, vocational training programs. But the reality is that the utilization rates or the the rate at which Mm. teenage girls especially are accessing these Mm. services is nowhere near what we want it to be. So that's really where we come in and we build the demand. And so I think it's right. it's not as simple as, you know, build a clinic and she'll go. I know girls right. who live 10 minutes from a health clinic, but she's never going to walk in those front doors because she doesn't see herself as the type of girl who goes to a clinic, who takes mm. control of her sexual reproductive health. She's afraid if, you know, she goes to the clinic and her auntie is there that day. And what's right. she going to tell her mom or her friends in the community? Is she going to be labeled a bad girl? So I think there's a lot of ways that services don't yet work for adolescent Mm. girls and they're not using them. So, you know, we're spending billions of dollars and actually our intervention is this layer that goes on top that makes those billions of dollars really work. And so how we measure that, um, I mean, actually, we're really able, I think, with innovation and the, and the power of digital tools and technology, we can not only measure our reach, our users, our repeat users, how long people spend consuming our content, but we're actually mm. able to track what a girl does differently because mm. of exposure to our content. So for example, you know, in Malawi, we've done a lot of work with Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, on the rollout of the HPV vaccine. So the HPV vaccine is the cervical cancer vaccine. And I'm sure as we're seeing now, there's a lot of myths about vaccines. Nowhere, Mm. no time, probably no time greater (laughs) in history than this moment. I mean, vaccines are the topic of conversation today. But what we know is that they're often misunderstood. And so with the cervical cancer vaccine, you know, there's myths that it will make you infertile. Parents are afraid for their girl, their child to get it. And so in Malawi, through um, a a magazine, a kind of media story, we were able to really get it out nationwide through partnering with Mm. the Ministry of Education. And we were able to actually measure that girls who consumed our content were 32% more likely to actually get the HPV vaccine. So Mm. there's a really direct impact that we're able to prove as a result of our products. That's amazing. And that just, again, speaks to some of the, I mean, 
we focus a lot on fundraising, you know, and what we're really talking about more, more often than not. But if people are so focused on like the direct, only like the end end output, right. Mm-hmm. Of thinking like, how do you get like more girls to take the HPV vaccine? And you don't have this idea of like what influences their decisions, the things they read, the people they talk to, then you'll just focus on this last part of the equation. And yes. in the fundraising world, you see the same thing. If you only focus on this last piece why do people care about your mission? Why do people engage with like those things lead to fundraising? So it's like this bigger view and it's so cool. I like how you talk about that, that layer that helps like kind of catalyze these other billions. That's great. Um, so I kind of like new girl effects, you know, you've got a great brand and a great name. And I, I thought I knew kind of what you did, but I'm learning more and more. And one of the things that I did not know was like, you're like a media company, you know, like We're a media YouTube co- yeah. channels. Yeah. Like TV drama in Ethiopia, you know, you've got like chat bots and things like this. So I guess the, 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 one of the questions that leapt to mind is like, has this always kind of been a part of girl effect in terms of like media and digital, or is that something that is really kind of come in or can you just share more about like this, this focus on media and digital in particular, like where did it come from? Absolutely. So girl effect was born out of the Nike foundation. So I think Mm -hmm. using media and the power of brands is really in our DNA, but I think what's different about us is we understand how girls think, what influence, Mm. what they think, what their challenges are, how they make decisions. And our way of reaching girls has always been based on what media they actually have access to. So we Mm. go where they are already. We don't create a new app or a new product and try to get her to adopt that. We go Mm. where she already is, where she's already consuming content technology. And I think a few years ago, that was more analog media like magazines, but now increasingly it's digital media as girls come online. And so it's YouTube, it's Instagram, it's WhatsApp, it's simple text messages and lo-fi environments, but it's really the power of mobile phones. And I think we know, I mean, teenagers around the world for parents (laughs) who have teenagers, where are your kids? They're on their phones. And so I think we're thinking about how do you reach her where she already is? Two years ago, we did the first global study about girls and how they use mobile phones with the Vodafone Foundation. And we found some really interesting things, which is that access to mobile phones, like many things in the world, is sexist. Um, Hmm. Boys are one and a half times more likely to own a phone than girls the same age. But we also saw, I think, just real genius on the part of girls. Girls are resourceful. They're finding ways to get around the challenges that they have. And even if she doesn't own a phone, they are getting a lot of She has a SIM card. She's borrowing a phone from her brother or her dad or her friend or her mom. So I think where we are today is, you know, we want to be five years ahead of where the technology is because we know access is changing, but also where teenagers are is going to continue to change. I mean, look at now it's TikTok. Maybe that's where young people are going to show up. Mm. There's going to be a new innovation tomorrow. So we want to be there testing and learning and ready to meet girls when they come online. I think, you know, one example I can think of is we have an AI powered chat bot. So Mm. imagine this, it's called Big Sis. It's on your phone. You can text or message Big Sis to get non-judgmental answers to the questions the girls have about, you know, menstruation, about her period. And actually, there was a great, um, a great kind of feedback that we got from a girl. And it said, you know, you're my favorite person to talk to 
you don't judge me. I love you so much. You're the best robot ever. And I think that's a little <laughs> bit of what we've seen is that there is something private and non-judgmental about the digital space and about talking not to a person. And so, you know, we kind of took the, the model of our, our agony aunt that we've used in Rwanda and we took that and we put it online. And so where girls can now message big sis and turn it into a private experience and get instant response. So in just two years, our chatbots in India and South Africa have gotten over 1.2 million messages and questions like, how do you know if it's the right time to have sex or is HIV easily transferred or can I become pregnant if I have sex during my period? And these are sensitive mm. questions that many girls right. don't know who to ask, don't know who to trust. And so we're there. Yeah. And that's a, there's so many cool things about that story. And it starts with the, the research side of things, right. Of just understanding, you know, who your end customer is and who you're trying to serve, how they interact and the, the questions that they have. And then also the delivery mechanism of how do we deliver this in the ways that, that they're, um, looking to, to consume content or ask those questions, whether it's a real person or a chatbot. That's really, really cool. Um, may, maybe um, speaking more to like the organizational setup and, and culture, you know, you talked about like research, you talked about, you know, innovations and testing things. Like what have you learned or maybe what advice do you have for other, you know, leaders of China who maybe want to do more of those types of things, but find pushback, whatever it might be, staff, budget, boards, whatever. You know, what, what have you learned along your, your journey of how to get that kind of more innovative culture or technology uh, adoption? Well, I think that it can seem overwhelming. So I think you have to start where your strengths are. And for us, I think that we really leaned into the power of digital media. Even when people have said, you know, girls aren't online yet. You can't reach girls through media and mobile. And, and I think what we've seen is they're online more than we think or know because of how right. ingenious they are, but they're also going to be. So I think don't be constrained by where you are today. Think about where you want to go. I think for us, it's also really about understanding our consumer. So who do you want to reach and how do you design a product or an experience that delivers the impact to her? And so for us, I think that you know, we work digitally and we, we can have a two-way conversation. And so we can have feedback loops to really iterate and learn and test and get feedback from girls about what's working. I think we know that girls around the world have similar challenges when growing up. You know, what teenagers, you know, teenagers around the world are going through changes in their body, understanding relationships, defining their aspirations. That's something that I think a girl in New York City or a girl in Mumbai can absolutely relate to, but the cultural or the context might be different. So mm. for example, you know, we, we do think about what we learn in Tanzania that might influence our work in India, but we also think about the difference with culture and context. And then I think for us, you know, innovation can always seem like you have to really think about a new app or a new product right. or a new tech tool. And I think we really designed for the lowest level of digital access the girls have. So it's not always the most high tech or kind of sexy solutions. There's no one size fits all. So in Tanzania, you know, girls use feature phones. They're using a simple Nokia, those old, you know, you push the button phones. And mm -hmm. response line or IVR, where you can literally old school, you know, call in press number one and hear the content that 
get the audio content on demand, which I think is quite powerful. But this borrows from, you know, how corporations run their customer service lines. So girls can actually get, listen to real life fictional stories about female entrepreneurs or get tips about how to safely make money or save for their future. So I think that, you know, innovation doesn't have to always be such a big, scary word, but you can really start where you are and design for your end user. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think especially what we've seen, again, in, in more of our world and the nonprofit fundraising side, often people go like, we need that app or we got to reach mm-hmm. younger people. And it's like, is anyone wanting that app? Are younger people even interested? You know, like there's there's a disconnect between what you're trying to do and who the end user is. And so people in boardrooms say, let's do this and let's innovate and it sounds cool. And you're right, it's often just more simple kind of stuff if you really understand the end user. That's great. Um, so this year was a little crazy. Uh, you may have experienced that. Um, can you share a little bit more about what it was like to, to lead, you know, such a global organization in such an absolutely, you know, crazy year? Like what, what did you kind of have to do to adapt or change? I mean, luckily you, you do a lot of digital work, but you know, what, what, what was that like? And maybe like, what did you learn through this process? Well, I think 2020 was absolutely a crazy year. I think for us, because we're primarily reaching girls through digital channels, we were able to respond and to pivot, but it's led us to lean much further into digital media and digital tools as a way to reach reach girls. Um, I think that we could also really learn about girls' concerns about COVID through our social media channels and and turn around myth-busting content to combat those myths. I think the challenge for us was that our work relies on a lot of in-depth insights from girls themselves about how they think and feel. And COVID has changed the lives of everyone around the world, girls included. We knew we needed fast data about how girls were experiencing this pandemic. We run networks of girl researchers. So age 18 to 24, and we call them TEGAs, which stands for a tech-enabled girl ambassador. And they're paid and they're trained as digital peer-to-peer researchers. But they also often work on the ground, going door-to-door, using their phone to ask questions to other girls. Because what we know is Mm. girls are much more honest when they're talking to a friend Mm -hmm. or a peer than if they're talking to an old person. But I think COVID made face-to-face research impossible. So we decided to kind of try something different. And we ran a project called Hear Her Voice, where 29 of our Tegas in six countries turned the camera on themselves, so Hmm. selfie style, to share their experiences of the pandemic, their hopes, their fears, what was happening, what support they needed. And I think these digital diaries really helped us gain unparalleled insights into what they were going through. So, you know, for example, a girl in India said that she struggled to access sanitary sanitary pads during lockdown. So through our India brand, we trialed home delivery of contraception and sanitary pads to meet that need. But I think that that was a really big challenge that we faced of how do we pivot and how do we hear directly from girls in this new world? Hmm. That's so cool. That's, it's, I mean, uh, what we've seen as well is, you know, organizations like yours that have been investing in digital and kind of pursuing and that mindset of thinking, where are things going? Let's start investing there. They actually in a weird way, like had a lot of success, you know, this yeah. year, which is kind of weird to think about in such a horrible year, but you know, they did because all of a sudden everyone was forced 
to be online. And this was the only way that they could get right. you know, certain answers. And not only that, but you're the types of organizations that could do that type of, well, let's just try home delivery. You know, we normally do this and we have this kind of idea of testing and trying and analyzing. And so you can more quickly figure this out. And I think, and my hope, at least for, for moving forward, is that more organizations were either forced to do this or maybe saw more of the light or saw how it's really not that difficult, essentially, and things like that. But it's, it's a, such a cool example of what you did. Maybe on the, the fundraising side, I know we've talked a lot about program and service delivery. Um, what was it like, you know, on the, on the funding side or connecting with, with donors? Did you, did you try anything new? Were you kind of forced to do anything new? What did you learn <clears throat> through this, you know, outlier year? Absolutely. I think for us, in some ways, the rise of Zoom and digital channels democratize conversation with donors because instead of, you know, me being in a meeting room somewhere in San Francisco, we could have a conversation with, you know, me and our India, our Tanzania, our Ethiopia mm. country lead. And so we could actually bring supporters, donors, partners much closer to the work and have more people and more leaders across our organization exposed to our donors in those conversations. You know, one thing we did is we convened several global digital events for both partners and prospective donors. And we've had, you know, 20 plus people from around the world on the line. Hmm. And focusing on this is really a moment to invest in girls. It wouldn't have happened before the pandemic. I think on, a, on an individual basis, you know, so many times I'd hear, it'll be so great to talk about that when you're here or we'll meet when you mm. come. And I think that we've realized that we can actually make things happen, do business, get to know each other, build relationships yeah. through digital tools. And, and in some ways, that's a more effective mm. use of both time and money because then we're not always on planes, you know, going to meetings, traveling around the world. But actually, I feel like there's been a, a closer alignment and integration of our strategy and our donors, and that they've been able to connect more closely. I think also, you know, I think 2020 has been a defining moment beyond COVID, but because of the knock-on impact of COVID. And what we mm. know is that adolescent girls are always last in line. And so when mm. we think about the loss of progress that's made, I think this has been a moment where we've really issued a call to action to our donors and our supporters. And we've said, look, the world for adolescent girls wasn't working before mm. 2020. You know, we've lost huge disruption in terms of access to contraception. You know, 47 million girls and women around the world are going to lose access to contraception. Huge disruption in terms of routine immunizations and access to immunizations. We've lost 25 years of progress in 25 weeks, if you can imagine wow. that. So just really huge impact. And I think that really thinking about we need to just think about how we how we build a different world that mm. could work in a much more adolescent, teenager, girl-friendly mm. way. And I think it's been kind of a, a clarion call to say that this is a moment that we need to step up because if we don't, we've lost huge ground when it comes to gender equality, who's doing the work in the household, who's doing the childcare. Mm surges in teen pregnancies. So it's really never been mm. more urgent. Wow. Yeah, I guess, I mean, it's something that, that you know when, when terrible things happen, whether they're, you know, diseases or natural disasters, it significantly disproportionately impacts those who were already, you know, on the outside. Looking on the in. outside, exactly. So, so this, this was just another uh, example of that. And it's interesting too, that positioning, just, you know, the fundraising brain 
It's like, what a, what a powerful call. Cause it, the more natural thing would be, you know, uh, girls in India can't get, you know, contraceptives. We need your support today so that we can do door-to-door delivery. Cool. Very tangible, tactical here and now, but this bigger vision casting thing of that, you know, we've lost 25 years of progress in 25 yeah. weeks for so many donors. I think who really care about the issue are probably more interested in like, how do we get back on this? You know, like right. that's such a, a great, like rallying cry and something big for donors to aim at. I think that's, that's great. Well, I, I want to be sensitive of your time. Uh, you've given so much. Uh, if we can end with a couple rapid fire questions, if that's okay. Great. Absolutely. Uh, I'd love to, to, to do that to end. So what's maybe like one app or site that you'd be like incredibly upset if it just went away or ceased to exist? I think definitely WhatsApp. Hmm. It's Good just one. how we communicate, you know, around the world. It's where, you know, girls connect, but also just, I think for me, living not in the U.S., it's the best and most effective way to keep those relationships alive. Yep. Oh, that's a good one. Um, what's, what's one of the most powerful books you've read either recently or in your life that, you know, you think, hey, everyone should read this book? I just read a book. Uh, it's called The Book of Joy by the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. And it's one of those books that was just on my shelf for such a long time. And I think we all need a bit of joy in this year, (laughs) in this moment. And so I picked it up and it was just, it was really just shifted my perspective in so many ways. Hmm. Cool. Okay. So if you've got a a $50 gift certificate, I had DoorDash here and I I don't know for sure. I don't think we have that in bed, Roby. (laughs) But there might be some equivalent, or let's just say you've got a $50 gift certificate. Uber Eats. There you go. You got a $50 Uber Eats gift certificate. Uh, What are you ordering? My favorite food, which is a little bit hard to get, I will say here in Nairobi is sushi. I mean, I could just eat sushi every day. And I will say I haven't eaten it in the last year and a half because maybe even longer because I was pregnant before the pandemic. And then with the pandemic, we just haven't left our house. Right. Yeah. I, when I think sushi, I don't think you Nairobi, don't think of Nairobi. True. Probably. No, it's probably not your, it's your not, destination. It's not high on the list. What is, what is some of your favorite, like, uh, is it really good Indian food, like curry? Really good uh, Indian food. Also really good Ethiopian food. I love Ethiopian mm, food. Just so many different flavors and spices. Delicious. Awesome. All right. And then last one, who's, who's a person or organization that, that you really admire and you think people should follow? Well, there's so many, I think, I think there's a lot of incredible female leaders who are coming forward at this moment. Um, and so I think that I'm really inspired by just seeing all of the, the conversations about equity and development. There's a new organization called um, the African Visionary Fellowship, which is really investing in African leaders and African-led organizations, which I think is so important. Um, I think just really that movement is, is really powerful and essential at this moment. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening uh, to thank call you so in much. and join the podcast. Where can people find out more about you and the wonderful work that you're doing? Well, it'd be great for people to visit our website, to go to www.girleffect.org. But I think also in this moment for people to hear directly from girls themselves. And so I'd love for people to listen to our Hear Her Voice campaign, which is about girls' experiences directly during life under lockdown. And that you can be found at voices.girleffect.org. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to send that out and put it in the show notes as well. So uh, thank you so much again, Jess, and uh, have a wonderful rest of your night. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. 
Hi again, this is Brady, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to listen to all future episodes or maybe go back and listen to some of our past episodes, you can do so by going to generosityfreakshow.com, or you can search The Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much wherever you listen to your pods. And uh, if you have any questions or a suggested guest, or maybe you yourself would like to come on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcast at nextafter.com. That's podcast at nextafter.com. And if you want to find out more about this vision to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world and what we're doing at Next After in terms of research, resources, and training, you can find out more at nextafter.com. That's nextafter.com. Thank you very much for listening. And finally, I have to say thank you to Nathan Hill, our producer and mixologist. This would not be possible without him. So thank you, Nathan. And thank you once again for listening. 